Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to one another so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? My name's Hugh Dempsey, joining me as always is my co-host Sam Blakely. Hello Sam, how are you? Alright mate, I'm good thanks. How are you Hugh? <laughs> Alright mate. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying out a you new what, voice. You what? <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where it came yeah. from, sorry about that. It's fine. Um, <laughs> throw me a bit there, but that's fine in the introduction. I'll, yeah. I can ride oh, this I'm wave. Like, How's it going? So, uh, tell us about the film, yeah? Yeah, so uh, there was this guy yeah, from Brazil, right? He was called Aiden <laughs> Sinner. So, yeah, this week, as we said at the end of last week, we're going to do the 2010 uh, film documentary. We're having a departure from our usual uh, films, I suppose. Uh, we're doing the 2010 documentary, as I said, about uh, called Senna, uh about the life and times of Ayrton Senna and his yeah, I mean, is career it, in Formula One. Well, 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 yeah, we'll get into the extent to which it's a film, a documentary, a cinematic, all that stuff later. So we're watching yeah. Senna. It's not just me and you, though, Hugh. I smell something no. else. You from all the way from where you are. Yeah. That's impressive. Oh, yeah. I think you need it. So yeah, so with us this week is uh, Bond enthusiast uh, <laughs> Liam Juicy Waters. Hello, Liam. Hello. If they've not listened to the Bond episode, he's not called Juicy Waters. Um, Juicy's in... Yeah, know, he is, no. That's on his birth certificate. I've seen him. <laughs> <laughs> that explains My it. middle initial is J, which technically doesn't work. Yeah, no, hello. Glad to be back. It's great to have you back. But back to uh, overwhelming popular demand. We get... A lot of correspondence. But the fan mail has been unbearable. I had to put <laughs> in sick. Sacks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Karen, if you can stop emailing now, yeah. that'd be appreciated. Not you know email. who you are. It's not emails that bother me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so um, if you have listened to our Bond episode, uh, me and Juicy, we share a love of Bond, but another thing that we also share a mutual love of is Formula One, um, which... We spend a considerable time talking about, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. More so than that's healthy, I would also say. Definitely. Regular Monday discussion. Reg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, when there's two weeks between races, I don't really speak to you. No, yeah, yeah. Nothing yeah. to... Unless... And it's quite current. Uh, there's something I hear in the racing... Something's happening in the Brazilian one. Yeah, so that was very... Uh, <laughs> Perceptive of you. <laughs> Adept, segue. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, essentially the Brazilian Grand Prix is this weekend as we're recording. Uh, we're recording on Saturday night, so there's been qualifying for it. Uh, so we thought we'd look at Brazil's uh, three-time world champion, Nelson Piquet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we're going to look at uh, Senna because, tragically, he died. Um, spoiler. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, really, I mean, that is... I know. I know it doesn't seem like a spoiler... But 25 years ago, there's plenty of people who might be listening who never really heard of it and Senna actually don't know that that happens in the I, mean, I just hope there's plenty of people listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. So, yes. Better, better a thousand people are spoiled than one person listens and wasn't spoiled, I would say. That's, my, that's the way I look at it. A thousand angry people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. So, um, basically, I've recommended... Yeah. I've recommended the film to Sam, uh, basically because he had borrowed this from a friend of his, or this friend of his lent it to him, and Sam kind of wanted to watch it. I had seen it and thought, do you know what, really good documentary, so uh, get you to watch it, and uh, with it being the Brazilian Grand Prix, as we mentioned, yeah, good time to watch it. So, Yeah, you say I borrowed it from someone. Um, my friend Rob lent me this 
I'd say six to eight years ago, along with the film The Hunt, which I'd also recommend. I don't know if you've seen that Danish film. Uh, I can't say I have, actually. Maybe a future film, Mads Mikkelsen. Um, so basically Rob Morton, circa 2012, I would say, is providing most of the content now for future episodes. Um, so he did lend me that, but not like recently it's it's been taking up a bit of space on my dvd it's, shelf for essentially you needed an excuse to watch it so you thought you'd set up a podcast <laughs> <laughs> i thought i'll bide my time yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so yeah so, here we are. so the reason i would recommend this film to sam other than the fact that he accidentally stole it um <laughs> is it's it's a documentary that's actually as an f1 fan i would say i was familiar with senna and his legacy and it kind of segues differently into that legacy, and it's it's quite an intimate portrayal of Senna, I would say. He's clearly, you know, if you were going to say, as silly as it sounds, but he is the star of the show. Yeah. The only other driver that really gets mentioned is uh, Alan Prost, yeah. quite frankly. Um, other drivers are just kind of peripheral almost to what's happening between Senna and Prost. Um, it is definitely the central. It's the central conflict, isn't it, between yeah. the two? Um, should we give a little bit more backstory on what this film is then? Um, it's essentially a documentary that uses archival footage from the Formula One World Championship um, tapes that have been taken from this Senna uh, family personal library that they had and they've built and edited a narrative together that gives you the Formula One career of Ayrton Senna and his rivalry with uh, Alain Prost, essentially. And then the second half of the film, or the end of the film, documents uh, the tragedy of his death and the resulting outpouring of emotion across the world at the uh, untimely and quite tragic uh, demise of Ayrton Senna. Yeah, and when, when did you first see it? No, it had been around for... It was either 2011 or 2012. I'll be honest, I can't quite remember. I had kind of avoided it for a while, actually, because, A, I was kind of familiar with what had happened. I'd seen some other documentaries about Senna and I, to be frank, I didn't think this was, it was going to be as good as it was. Usually you get documentaries that are a bit, they're a bit dry, they're a bit unemotional, they're a bit matter of fact where this definitely plays with your emotions as you said. I mean, I think what makes, what stands this out is the, the presentation style of this film. A lot of it's, you know, there's no grand narrator, it's Ayrton Senna telling his story of Formula One through interviews he recorded throughout his lifetime. And yeah, I think that's, it's not unusual, but it's, it seemed unique at the time when I saw it. And it really, it really got to me, to be honest with you. I didn't, because there was certain things, because of, you know, we're born, um, like we've mentioned before, I was born 88, you were born 89. None of us really watched Senna Race. Um, so as F1 fans, we kind of grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, learning about the Senna legacy. Yeah, I should really mention I'm not, I'm not really an F1 fan. I think this is kind of one of Hugh's ways of, uh, of getting me into it a little bit. Juicy, what's your sort of history with this film? With the film? Well, to be fair, it's actually a double recommendation then, technically, isn't it, this week? So <clears throat> much like, I think, what uh, Hugh alluded to, uh, he was... He'd never really watched it because he'd heard of Senna. You know, he knew the backstory. And the same sort of thing. Uh, I think with this film, some beliefs are sort of confirmed, is that, like uh, like Hugh said, is a lot of the films are taken from his family library. 
and it's almost like a propaganda film from his family. <laughs> it's difficult to, to say unless you watch F1. Ayrton Senna is uh, quite much put on a pedestal within the F1 uh, community uh, and he was a magnificent driver. There's nothing denying that. There's no evidence to say it wasn't. However, he was very much F1's golden boy despite being at the same time everyone's a bit of a bad boy in my eyes and it's the lie years that have put him on the golden boy and it's kind of like a propaganda film to say yeah look our Ayrton was a golden boy this is why he is the best of the best his heart's in the right place and it's sort of pushed towards a, a point of view of, of you looking at things that aren't necessarily cricket and thinking all of a sudden ah actually yeah based on this film I think he was right in doing what he did but that's that's my thoughts on the film. Like, why would, would why would you recommend the film? So if I was to recommend the film, is that as a sports fan, you've got to appreciate what he did. Yeah, it, it's not a where he came from thing because he did come from money, but you've got to appreciate what he did. The like single-minded, yeah, the single-minded, the, the 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 uniqueness of F one as well as you are part of a team, but you are racing for yourself. Really, I can't think of many another, other team sports where you would get that situation. I, I can't think of another major sport where. I mean, you could say any <clears> team sport. Cycling, maybe? Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, cycling, team yeah. sky. It was an interesting. So, I don't really know much about F1, as I said, and I've, I was just watching a couple of interviews, uh, extras on the on the Blu ray, and I, I don't know who it was. I think it was Reginaldo, someone, who was sort of saying that. Um, being, he was the Brazilian commentator, wasn't he? I think that's right, yeah. Yes. He, he was saying that being on the same team as somebody is saying, this is my next competitor, rather than being yeah. we're fighting for the same goal. It's it's almost like we have a level playing field now, and if we're both at McLaren or we're both at Ferrari, really all we're going to do is compete against each other, and that's the person that I'm up against. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is a good documentary to... To say to shut because some people sometimes people say everyone's quite boring and sometimes it can be really boring. There's no denying that. But if you show something like this, and this is the reason I, you know, we'll get into this is why I've recommended it to you is that here is the reason and the passion behind it. Here are the characters that you get. Like they're they're the best of the best. Formula One is ridiculously competitive. Like I think personally. And I'm willing to be corrected on this, but I think, and it's it's hard to measure competitiveness, but to me it just seems like the most competitive sport in the world because the entry requirements are so high that you have to be amazing just to get onto the grid in the first place. There's not many sports where um, they literally, it's kind of like a game of chicken where it just goes well, especially as we saw in this film quite a lot. Whoever's most willing to die in this race. Is is they're going to pull ahead? They're going to get into those gaps and, and make that overtake. I suppose that's quite competitive. <laughs> yeah, huge ball. Grande cajones. Yeah. I mean, you've got to ask yourself a question. Like, would you put yourself through the physical demand of a Formula One race, tough finish, not second, but basically second from last, like these drivers do? Well, like, I don't want to finish 20th, but I will yeah. literally break my back to get 18th or 19th. <laughs> I mean, you get... I mean, we've seen it plenty of times. There's been there's been Formula 1 drivers who have had their whole career, you know, 10 years or more, and never won a race. Wow. I mean, Senna himself, he was 24 when he got into F1. Wow. 
But it's all now, but young at the time. Yeah, at the time yeah. it was quite young. Yeah, it was kind of it was the pin. It's the pinnacle of motorsport, as they say. So you have to prove yourself in other categories to. What's the normal get sort of career length, career sort of age range of? Um, I would say for the best drivers, you're looking at anywhere between ten and maybe fifteen. And is that from like twenty to 30, 35 or? Um, more like mid twenties to twenty two to thirty seven. Right, yeah. Okay. So that so I think Schumacher was twenty two when he started, and yeah. his first retirement came when he was thirty seven. So Senna had been in ten years when he died, and I suggested he would have probably gone another four or five seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just the physical demands of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean reactions. I think, I think there's a lot of a lot to be said with there's a, a certain element of the young youth, the youngest of a driver. Yeah, I mean, you literally, you get more cautious when you get older and you can sort of try and fight it if you can, but they often say, I'm sure I've heard, yeah. if you've never bungee jumped by the time you're 30 or 40, you probably never will. Yeah, and this is one of the tragedies of Ed Senna because he was 34, so, you know, there is, I've heard theories do the rounds over the years that, well, maybe Michael Schumacher wouldn't have won seven world titles if Ed Senna had, hadn't died because yeah, yeah. he might have picked one of those titles up. He might have won in the Williams in 95. I'm shaking my head. Yeah, so Juice is not convinced. <laughs> but he's a he's a diehard Michael fan, yeah, so it's basically his that. deity. Yeah. <laughs> and and also, like you say, you know, when he's 34, that means he, it's almost like the you know lethal weapon sort of one day before retirement, too old for this shit sort of thing. You know, it could have been right before he retired. Really, my prediction is that you liked this documentary. What do you think I might not have liked, by the way? I don't know. I think I don't think there's much to dislike about it. Maybe there might have been too, some information thrown at you that, from a lay audience, you might not have picked up certain things and maybe gone, "Oh, who's that? And what's happening there? And what what was this?" Because you're maybe not immersed in it or you're not familiar with it, and that's maybe the only thing. But I think this does a real documentary does a really good job of just laser focused, pretty much on one or two drivers and one or two teams, so you're not you're not thrown too much information. You just know that this guy was good at racing. He had a big fight with another world champion and then tragically he died. Let's, look, let's examine that and have a look at it and find out why he was so loved. What, what do you think, Juice? Do you think Sam liked it? I think, yeah. I think it's hard not to like that kind of documentary. Um, <clears throat> like I said earlier, I think it paints Ed Center in a really good light. What a hero. Yeah. Um, what do you think he wouldn't like about it? And the only thing is, like you said, there's going to be a lack of knowledge where something would almost skip over. You know, you might be like, well, why is that an issue? You know, why is that a, why, you know, I don't know, I don't understand what they're arguing about here. That looked perfectly okay to me. Or why is nobody kicking off about that? That was a bit, that was a bit wrong. You know, stuff like that. It, because it is, it's filmed with an assumption, I think, that you know a bit about him. I have to mention as well, just before we go to uh, the next section, is the director of this, uh, Asif uh, Kapadia, Kapadia, I'm going with. I've not... Kapadia. Yeah, he he's done the 2015 film Amy, which is another documentary, and this year he released a documentary about Diego Maradona. So he's definitely got a talent for making documentaries about controversial figures. And uh, good friends with Mark Kermode. I know Mark Kermode's a big fan of his films, so I think he's... Yeah. A, a very recent episode, uh, Kermode podcast actually I've had him talking on about the Maradona documentary which I th- haven't listened to yet but could be quite interesting and because I've seen Senna I would watch both those documentaries knowing that I would get 
an, an interesting insight into the, those lives of those two people. Right. So, coming on up after the break, we're going to find out what Sam thought of Senna. Please watch this. So now we're going to find out what uh, Sam thought of Senna. All right, here's here's Sam's gams. I'm trying to find because we have Hugh's views. What's the Sam's uh, views? <laughs> it needs to rhyme. It doesn't rhyme. Yeah. Um, so I, this is the things I liked. It was Ooh. very These effective. Are the things that I liked. These are the things I liked. See, this is this is what I want us to have. Actually, this would be a nice way to go forward with this, rather than immediate. This is my view. Rather, this is what I liked. This is what I didn't like. Because next time I show you some arty, pretentious film that I really want you to love, and you go, "I didn't like it," then I'm going to not listen to a word you say after that. Actually, I think it might be nice if you say, "I liked these things." This is why I'm going to shit on it. But anyway, no. So this is what I liked about this film. I thought it was very stylish, like you said, very stylized. It wasn't garish and or rubbernecking. Um, when the when he crashed, uh, again spoiler alert, uh, it didn't linger on the crash and show it multiple times, and it wasn't that corny, uh, so like you say, central narrator sort of figure. Very very stylish. Also, didn't caricature him. I don't know how much either of you properly knew about his character. Maybe before you'd seen this, I assume that was a big part of his appeal. Excuse me, his, his appeal, but it wasn't yeah. like it was exaggerating his playboy lifestyle, kind of like. And this is the three years where he went off the rails because it was all about the girls. That was just sort of implied as just being part of the lifestyle that inevitably would come with being super rich and idolized and adored. Yeah. Um, yeah, you only get to see maybe, I think maybe total maybe two minutes of the entire film is dedicated to like his romantic interest in. Yeah, Brazil. Like there's the, the scene where he's talking to uh, his girlfriend for a time, the uh, the TV presenter. Oh yeah, yeah. and <laughs> she's kissing. I've got to him. say a couple of things. Sexual politics have changed, <laughs> and the professionalism of TV presenters and interviewers <laughs> has moved on in many ways. There's not many she looked times like she'd see... won an award, didn't she? Yeah, <laughs> I get to present the, TV, the, the, the Christmas show everyone yeah. loves. Woo! Yeah, and she might have just gone, we're going to burn later. Like That was what she was basically saying to everybody. And the Japanese um, sort of TV Oh my God, yeah, that she girl. Like, she was just like, we are going to burn later and I'm going to talk to you <laughs> for the camera first. <laughs> it was just... And then he's like, little kiss, another little kiss. <laughs> she was... Um, yeah, she was quite... She was like, oh, I'm a TV personality in Japan. <laughs> I am famous in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Did you not see the guy with the mop behind her? <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> I mean, we swear on this, but come on. <laughs> it's just decency. Yeah, Awful. there we go. Yeah. Well, that's, if this was on YouTube, that would definitely get demonetized. Now. <laughs> um, get so, yeah. So yeah, really stylish, uh, really classily done, not garish, really fascinating uh, insight, um, and without being cheesy and, and hacky. Um, clear act structure as well, which is not always easy in real life. You know, I think I've mentioned many times really that in real life isn't cinematic in many ways, but we had that act structure almost like um, 
Boogie Nights, you know, the first act is him trying to achieve that success. The second act is him trying to be the absolute best. So, yeah. uh, and then, and then there's kind of like doubt and a bit of a downfall. And the way that I kind of characterize it was ambition, competition, doubt, you know, that was kind of the three main acts that I could see. And it made me cry, you know, it made me, made me smile when it was supposed to make me smile and it made me cry. And I don't cry at sad things. So when he did crash, I just sort of had my hand over my mouth for a solid couple of minutes just watching it and and just being very sort of still. And then when it talked about uh, his um, foundation has helped educate tw- 12 million underprivileged children and then it said Prost is a um, trustee, then I shed a tear. That was like the beauty of it because that central competition between them was really was really beautiful and it's something you see a lot I'm sure talking this show about um sporting rivalries and sports documentaries and so on it was a it's a really great narrative there's a sort of a goodie and a baddie but they're both complex and then for that to sort of just be forgotten in the in perspective you know this perspective Prost is obviously upset um when Senna is hurt and and well it's one of the pallbearers at his funeral wasn't it exactly yeah there's a beauty to that even though he would have punched him uh, you know, several times in their competition, not that long before. So there's real beauty there, uh, a real sort of human story. So what I didn't like is uh, absolutely nothing at all. I loved it. Mm. <laughs> oh, fantastic! I love the film. Yeah. I think yeah. what they managed really well was to, presumably to entertain um, and maybe possibly inform somebody like you two who know about. F1 and, and probably knew a lot about Senna beforehand but also to to hold my hand through it you know you, Hugh you mentioned about they sort of simplified it down uh, and, and and that's kind of what you have to do to make a, a film of it because otherwise it's just it's just 10 to 15 years of story without it being a narrative so they've simplified it down they've picked out the key things everything's on film the interviews are really um, sort of ta- tactfully or uh, really well done in the background they're sort of well edited together uh, and I think it just it just creates a really clear narrative structure that's effective and engaging fair enough I mean yeah I mean if you, it is isn't it it's I mean you said that you cried did so did you cry like when he when you saw the people in Brazil and around the world and the, the effect it had on them or were you just crying because this man of talent and compassion and face competitiveness died what was it was it was i was really affected by his death and the sadness but i I don't i really don't cry at sad things i always cry at sort of beautiful redemptive things um kind of very human moments so really what made me actually cry was finding out that prost was a a trustee and that their that the foundation had, had just done so much and kind of the legacy of the man i was like i say i was deeply affected very moved by outpourings of grief and celebration and you sort of feel that you really want him to have been able to see that do you know do you know what for me genuinely I, I cried it as well again watching it oh. yeah I did what it was but it was what I said to you in the question the bit that got me was when you saw his funeral going yeah. uh, his, his coffin going through Brazil and yeah it just, that really well. got me yeah the people like, I always wonder who goes to an air, uh, to a hospital where somebody's Passed away. Juice yeah. is checking his pulse now to make sure he's not dead inside. <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, I didn't cry. Like, yeah. and I've never, I've not seen it before, uh, like so. But, but I, it was, uh, maybe it was weird that 
I've spent my, I know at least the past six years trying to find footage of that crash. Not because I wanted to see the carnage or anything like that, not through some like distant reason, just I just wanted to see what happened. It's a weird, there is a weird perverse thing. A few months ago, I was trying to find footage of uh, Owen Hart, the wrestler, falling to his death, knowing all the while that if I did actually see it, I'd regret it. And luckily, I never yeah. found footage of him making impact, but him falling and then lying on the floor. But not, you know, and I'm glad I didn't see it. Yeah, I've I've tried to look for that before, and uh, apparently the the cameras weren't it, they were doing a VT. It was only, it was actually only for the uh, crowd in the uh, in the arena that section. Well, I, th- I think I'm right. Is there is a, isn't there a um, there's a tape there in the archives some... that what there is there's an inscription on there's something like um, to uh, to archive but never to watch or something like that. It, there's a I can't but remember. WWE are famous uh, for you know archiving their footage and not releasing it they don't want you to see something you're not going to see it anytime soon unless it's been released already um, yeah it, I mean yeah it, yeah, it affected me I was surprised because I know he dies yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think what got me was the grief of other people at the time and I was this is might sound a bit horrible <clears throat> but it reminded me of sort of, of like when Princess Diana died in this country but yeah yeah, and you could see that in like Brazil, um, but almost like Senna earned it. Where Diana didn't, she earned it for different reasons, but she didn't have a discernible talent. She was just a nice person, yeah. and you could see that. Yeah, she wasn't. She hadn't worked to the top of her field. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she was born into wealth and happened to marry the wrong person and she didn't know that these things were going to go horribly wrong for her. Yeah. You can see she was quite a vulnerable person and there's, I think that's what it is. There's a vulnerability about these people. What do you think, Juice? What, about Ayrton Senna? Yeah. I've, I mean, I don't, know about, I don't know how vulnerable he is or whether or not he's actually quite smart. If I'm brutally honest, my, that's my opinion about Ayrton Senna. I know he's a, like, from a sporting point of view, I know he's an amazing driver and the things he did, which in the film, which I already knew about, which you, you said to me earlier, that you didn't know he raced for Tolman. Which... I knew he raced for Tolman, yeah. so I didn't know that. <clears throat> so until I saw the film, Senna, I didn't know about the, the um, him nearly winning the race in 84. Um, I didn't know about that amazing drive where he dragged this useless car to second and should have won if it wasn't for Prost waving at the yeah, uh, yeah. getting the, it cancelled by the stewards and getting him to red flag it yeah which it was uh, I think but I knew I about think, Prost's genius yeah. sorry yeah Senna's genius in the wet and yeah, I knew yeah, after yeah, that yeah. he went on to win Monaco like another he won it like six times didn't he in his yeah he's won, he's won it absolutely loads but I do believe that there was a lot of when Senna's talking about politics that's his own politics to bring the sport to him to make it more, it's the Ayrton Senna show. Like, there's things he did, mm. you know, was portrayed, which is why I said it kind of, for me, it was like a propaganda film by his family. The things he did and the way it was portrayed is, and there's there's people in F1 now that have done similar things. There's people in F1 that's done the same things in the past, and they have been constantly castrated for the things that they've done. Which are nearly <laughs> Is that one of the penalties? Not physically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hat. 
in cash, but it's fair. I mean, I'm giving you two warnings. I can't give you any more. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> there's a limit on castration, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, but they've got they've just gone on to get but because Ayrton Senna was Ayrton Senna and the way he carried himself in certain aspects of his career, people are just like, oh yeah, no, that's acceptable. He's just an absolute out and out driver. But someone yeah, else is like, and, oh my god, he's trying he's to kill me. Protagonist as well, so we understand his failings, but we're meant to sort of see Prost, Prost as being he's the bad guy, and and his failings are, you know, with malice aforethought. Or and yeah. his failing is he's just not as good as Senna. That's uh, his failing. It's yeah, that's sort of snooker films like, like this. How dare you? Bonnie O'Sullivan yeah. would be the Ayrton Senna, and the likes of Steve Davis, or you know, those kind of machine uh, multiple winners. They would be the the enemy <laughs> as grey as he is you know we love Ronnie O'Sullivan yeah. yeah well I suppose like if you were going to do a snooker analogy exactly, it'd be yeah, Jimmy yeah. White versus Stephen Hendry wouldn't it uh, it's just a, it's the case of it's it, it says at the beginning about it and Senate, uh, Alain Prost yeah is that he will finish fifth and do no yeah, more we, we sort if of, that's we all that he needs to do like that. we prefer somebody who's just going to passion trying to get the fastest for the fun of it you know he'd rather be go-karting in 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 brazil and, and all that sort of, or in portugal um when actually yeah he also wants to win just as much as anybody else i, I think as well is there is a lot of f1 drivers are actually quite like that they're very you know they're, they're, there's, there's an efficiency in it that has to be first and foremost. So when you get a driver like Ayrton Senna coming along and, you know, wearing his heart on his sleeve, talking about his religion, um, talking, you know, about how he feels about things, then people who are drawn to that are drawn to it big. And then given the circumstances of his demise and the tragedy of his life, then he gets lionised. And then film like this, that maybe waver into the lines like Juicy saying about almost it being a hagiography yeah and I suppose dying young biography. does that, isn't it <laughs> yeah. you, you can't you can't grow old yeah, and rubbish yeah. and you know say vaguely racist things into your 60s and 70s and sort of tarnish all that you die in your 20s or 30s you are a saint and genius forever well, like, like uh, the ESPN commentator, the American uh, John uh, Bissagomni, I think it's called, uh, whose features, he says, oh, could you imagine Senna dying of cancer at 50? You know, he, he could just not get his head around that. Um, so, yeah. And there's also, like, I, like one thing I didn't know until watching this was the uh, the input that uh, Jean-Marie Balestre had into like the political side of things and his like autocracy within the FIA and its effect on Formula One and yeah. all that and you kind of do I know the film frames it in such a way but it does it does kind of show a bias towards Prost that yeah I think that, the institution that was new, new to me but I think it was filmed it, it could have it could that could have been edited in so well to pass it down like that and, and make it yeah, a good guy and a bad guy, but it's not really black and white like that. It did a really good job. because, And I think one of the dangers that we were going to have in this conversation, especially with, with you two as F1 fans, is the veracity of this and whether or not it's true and how accurate these portrayals were. And for me, really, especially in a film podcast, I'm really just looking at this as a piece of cinema. It might as well be um, a fake biopic about somebody who never existed, but with really realistic-looking footage. <clears throat> You know, I think for me, that's that's what this is. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, because, I mean, I wasn't there at the time. Of, well, I was alive, but I wasn't there at the time. You know, the two incidents in Japan in 89 and 90. Um, you know, we've got second-hand accounts of what happened and, you know, how the F1 world's interpreted it over the years. So we have our own kind of, you have your own position there. So to have a look, you know, to get somebody else's fresh perspective on it is always interesting because, you know, I made my mind up about that <laughs> yeah. 15 years ago, you know, from what I'd been I mean, told. The bit that isn't mentioned in the film was that and Senna specifically said is, if you don't switch the pole position back to the other side or if you don't move pole position, this is where you get second-hand accounts. So in the film, they said they switched pole position to the dirty side of the track. And in the bit that I heard that I didn't hear in the film was that Ayrton Senna had asked for pole position to go onto the left side of the track because pole position was right. on the dirty side of the track. And I think, and then I'd also heard the argument that it was there the year before. So why he thought it was an issue now, it, it was, you know, beyond, there was like, oh, it's beyond us. But he apparently said is that if he is leading into the first corner, he always, he's got a nose ahead of me. I will not yield that corner. He, he specifically said that he was not going to let Alan Prost pass him into that first corner if they didn't switch the pole position back. And it's one of the, it's really one of the themes of this film, isn't it? Really, kind of um, that sort of ambition and drive, uh, and that, like I say, that play, playing chicken. Really, just who the person who flinches is going to lose yeah. this, lose this race, really. And I mean, I'm sure I've heard Lewis Hamilton in a um, interview at some point saying, "Look, if I die on the on the course, then that's fine because that's what I'm signing up to." Really, you know that I know that could happen, and that's fine. <laughs> Which I thought was a really interesting take. And I, one of the talking points, really, I thought of this was, "Would you ever risk your life to be the top in a career?" Can either of you for like see a situation in which you go right? This is my chance to be an immortal top best ever but I have to risk my life possibly to, to do it could you ever foresee yourself doing that um, it depends on the job doesn't it F1 you don't go into it without the inherent knowledge that you could die it's not like you're <clears throat> working as a, a solicitor or a doctor yeah. do you know what I mean nobody gets into a medical profession and thinks Oh well, I could you know I could die tomorrow. That, that may be a bad example because you catch a deadly disease. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. a solicitor doesn't think, "Oh, if I walk into court, you know, my courtroom's going to fly into a barrier." <laughs> yeah, that, I'm not saying this is the only reason why neither of you are Earth One champions. But if you had the talent and the, and the and the money and all that, and let's let's say you've gone so far right now, you are 30 years old and you've or let's say 25 years old and you've won the world championship, would you just retire? knowing that you've got enough money you've got enough you've got the title you don't need to prove anything anymore or would you go right I've got enough years and enough money and enough backing that I could get eight world championships well there's the example of Nico Rosberg who won the title in 2016 when he was 31 was he or 30 30ish yeah he was in his early 30s and it took so much out of him he quit there and then he went I've equaled what my dad did and I'm leaving as a champion really I I would carry on. I mean, yeah. I think Hamilton's tune has changed though over the years. I think they yeah. don't think he would I risk it now. But then again, he's so close to seven and so therefore not far from eight that, it, you know, and maybe at four is that where you stop risking it. But then when you get close, you go, well, 
I could, you know, I'm the second most successful. I'm that close to first. Does it, is there another level of another level of pushing it that I don't know. I think it's a hard question to answer because you're never going to be in that situation, frankly. You don't know until you're thrust in it. And as mm. Juicy alluded to there, you know, that thought, that risk is always in the back of their mind. But, you know, you hear some drivers say, once you're out on the grid, you can't think about that because the second that you think yeah, about it, you lose concentration and you might crash. It's so dependent on yeah, you know, it's going so into every corner. Oh, they're so busy. You know, it's, it's so close and the margins are so tight. Um, yeah. It's, and it's, it, this film is really good at portraying that and showing, I can't remember where he was, but the race where he's, you know, streets ahead of everybody and then goes a bit too quick and, oh, is it at the, uh, is it Monaco? Monaco, yeah. Monaco, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like a famous, that's, that's yeah, very famous yeah. that he was... Because he disappeared into his room for... Yeah, he I mean, the, the, <laughs> the documentary said three hours, but I heard three days. Yeah, same. So, um almost the most not the most mm. significant scene for obvious reasons but that's almost the most telling scene um, I don't know if I can't remember how much of a uh, implication it had on the championship that year but just as a character portrayal that's a really significant scene that it was 19 was it 90, it was 91 sorry I think he went on and won the championship that year anyway I think no I think that was 89 or both at McLaren weren't they the year when he crashed into the... I thought it was 89, though, both from McLaren. Yeah, it I, I, I remember it being... It was early enough to really establish that McLaren. character trait of... Uh, like, you know, 88. Kind of, yeah. he's, going to, he's going to push it too far. And I think if you yeah. watch this film without knowing what happens to him in the end... The, you know, we've talked... Again, we've talked about this several times. I really love foreshadowing and, uh, you know, that's a sort of rising tension in films. And this is really masterfully played yeah. to, to an audience that doesn't know what happens to him, where you go... Well, I know this guy's going to die because right at the start, his mum's saying, "I hope he doesn't die." We've got God on our side, hope and all that, and I want him to stop. And the foreboding and the foreshadowing is so early and so repetitive. Yeah, and 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 in the in the sort of final sequence where he is about to crash, just having a solid thirty or forty second of dash cam or race cam from him. And you know it's coming, you know, and I didn't know at what point, I didn't know if it was a collision, if it was a, I had no yeah. idea at what point in the race it was. That was a really good <coughs> tension building. I was just going to ask, actually, did you know how he died or that he was just dead or where he died? Or, do you know, like... Just just knew he, he died out on the on the course, knew yeah. nothing about it at all. I, did, I didn't know Schumacher was in that race. I didn't know he was the one that was vying for second place. I didn't know it was a late 94. I... I I knew nothing other than that he was very successful, hmm. died very young, that's, and, and probably pushed it too far. Did you know about what. Alain Prost before watching this film? I've heard, no, I'd heard the name, I read it again recently when I was looking at Hamilton and where he stacked up against other winners. I, I would have listened to Mark Kermode's review of this film yeah. seven or nine years ago, so some of those things were still tinkling around in my brain, but no, not really. Right, so Juicy, what was... So usually what we do when we watch a film is we all go through our favourite scenes and favourite lines of the film, take it in turns. But because this is real events and real life, we kind of decided around what was your favourite event that happened to Senna that was captured in this film? Yeah, it's a favourite scene. Favourite scene. Yeah, because it is a film. It is a film. We can still treat it as favourite scene and, and line. I still think, but yeah, but it is yeah, a, it's it is. yeah, it's not acted. I think is it. So no. it's, <laughs> I think one of the one of my favourite bits is I 
like so early on is in the tournament at Monaco because and I appreciate what Ayrton can do and as a massive Michael Schumacher fan Michael Schumacher was just as good in the wet as anyone if not twice as better than anyone when he raced so like David said not only did he get that dog of a car to second in that race he got that dog of a car to second in a race where it's no wider than your kitchen or your living room and it was raining and it's by the sea it's some bits are flat so the, the amount of resting water on the roads there's a lot so the talent that it not only a, took him to get that dog of a car to second but in those conditions as well it, the balls yeah the, the <laughs> cojones <laughs> what about you Sam what was your favourite scene of the film I really liked the um, the where they, they're talking about replacing the tyres with cones I don't oh, know what it was about that scene uh, I really loved that at Monza uh, yeah, Monza. Is it Monza or is no, it in Germany? Oh, is it? Oh, it's the old it's Hockenheim. Hockenheim. It's the old Hockenheim. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I know what you mean with that, that Sam. Yeah, it's it's it almost leans back to that ballast. Maybe I've been pulling some pulling power towards props. Is it kind of shows him as well pulling something for Senna as well because he kind of lets Senna get his point across, then tries to pull mm. a little eye on the Senate. Yeah, and then, oh, he's he's so Trump like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Like the best opinion is always my opinion, and my decision is always the best one. And it's just like, oh. And then actually, one of my favorite lines was then the dem- the democratic vote. Let's put it out only the drivers. You know that was quite. Put nice. it this way: Balestra was such a divisive figure within the FIA and motorsport world that they replaced him with a guy whose father was um, Oswald Mosley. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that uh, that, that shows you the level of, you know, <laughs> of degrees here that he was disliked and how he would uh, he portrayed himself and yeah, yeah. That There's a lot is, of deeply objectionable old men in those positions in in sport and in F one as well. It's uh, yeah, it's a real trait. Um, yeah, yeah, it's that single minded kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah, there is a there is an autocratic streak within the people in F1 because they're in charge of these large organisations and they and in order to win sometimes they have to be cutthroat yeah it's like being a cowboy the, if you look back at the old fashioned cowboys they would control these wild horses and that's what the F1 drivers are they're they are erratic otherwise they wouldn't do the sport so <laughs> they they've got to be there's got to be a certain element of psychological something missing in order to do what they do somewhere along the line but to control those people you've got to be the biggest bastard in the room <laughs> yeah that's true yeah that's not that's a pretty good way of putting it. are there still big characters in F1 oh, yes yeah. uh, it's... really they all seem quite just Germanic and uh, just professionally media trained there is a level of professionalism in terms of the media that you do get but when on the race day they have so what they didn't really have in Senna's time and throughout the 90s it was only really until like the mid to late 2000s is you now get the team radio and that's it's got a delay on it so they'll filter out they'll bleep over the swearing but (laughs) you get to hear more like they swear like sailors man yeah you know, you would though if you're going at 300 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. corners, that's how I just drive in general. <laughs> 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 you're doing 20. 
Oh, well, it just feels more dramatic. <laughs> the other thing that I really appreciate about watching this film, yeah. just to totally go off the canon, is so modern earphones, Sam, what happens is when they come round and they sit on the grid, the car packs up, they turn the engine off, they put it on jacks and they wheel it to the to the front of the grid. So they wheel it, so people push it, it doesn't get driven. But uh, when Senna was driving, they drove it to the front of the track. So they right, drove yeah. it slowly. And what I appreciated is, I know you've recently started to learn to drive and you will get as you drive different cars, is the control to do that with a car with that much power that will... <laughs> That will be aching to push out just shows the level of talent that they have to drive a car, and it's yeah. such a, something so small that. But I really appreciate it at that point. Quite interesting, yeah. yeah. And then at the, the the higher end as well, when he can't get out of sixth gear for oh, yeah, twenty yeah. laps, and his shoulders are give out. I've never seen anything like that. Well, I was just about to say, you know, favorite scene for myself. Yeah. Originally, I wrote down the Monaco '84 Tolman drive because. As an F1 fan, same as Juicy, what he did there, I just appreciate to the nth degree that it's so hard to, you know, I can only literally think of one other time in F1 where someone's truly wrestled a car that should be nowhere near the front of the grid. And <laughs> and to me, Juicy might disagree because he can think of, I can think of two other examples where it's happened as well. Uh, but I think Vettel getting pole in Italy in 2008 in the Toro Rosso is essentially akin to what Senna did now to you Sam that's not going to make much sense if you don't are not familiar with it I know it. Vettel's good at driving uh, yeah well as far as I can go with he that. won four world championships a couple of years after that so yeah mm-hmm. in a row so yeah he uh, managed to take a car like the Tolman got it on pole at Italy and then drove from what they say lights to flag uh, yeah. and won the race uh, Juicy's now going to say Schumacher's 96 96 in Spain <laughs> See, the only thing, the only difference is that is because Schumacher was driving a Ferrari, nobody will ever think that that car was a dog. Right. But in 1996, that car was a dog compared to some of the other top cars on the grid. And yeah. the thing is, is where the world champion of that year was interviewed about that race, he just says, on that day, Michael Schumacher turned up and made all other 19 or... 20, 21 drivers that were on the grid at that point look like amateurs. Look like they never set foot into an F1 car. Didn't he? It was like in the rain, didn't qualify pole, set off, and he finished 56 seconds up the road from second. Mm. And he said people were spinning out left, right, and centre. They had absolutely no control over the car. And Schumacher drove it like it was dry. Yeah, but to give it some more context as well something that they don't do in this film which they didn't dwell on so this is where it's interesting from an editing point of view and what they chose to show is they just briefly mentioned Senna's drive at Donington in 93 I think it was in the uh, in the right. McLaren when he won a wet race there that at the time was before Schumacher what Schumacher did was seen as the wet race win a guy coming from right. a few positions back people spun out he took, overtook him in a car that wasn't fancy to win and he won the race and the other one I would say Hamilton 2007 uh, was it or that was my that was my highest from it for Silverstone but my, I think my favourite scene of this film rather than the Tolman incident after watching it again is actually him winning in in Brazil uh, in Alagoas in 91 yeah and you, uh, that is beautiful that. yeah that really affected me this time around I think the first time I watched it I didn't know about the Monaco podium this time around obviously I knew about it 
he, he faints in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's how much it meant to, you know, it's how much it meant to everyone else, I think. The film says, doesn't it? It goes, oh, well, when he won his first championship, he was a hero in Brazil. When he won his second championship, he was still a hero in Brazil. When he won his third championship, he suddenly became a hero to everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And he just, be, you know, he took mm. that next step forward. What was your favourite line, do you see them? So my favourite line is when he's talking to uh, Jackie Stewart um, and he says... That was the angry Scotsman. Yes, he basically says, when you no longer go for a gap that is there, you are no longer a race driver. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was good. It was almost like he was saying it directly at Jackie Stewart as well, wasn't it? Like, you know, you're no longer a yeah. race car driver. <laughs> well, Jackie Stewart famously... Um, he retired after 100 races because he didn't want to die well yeah, yeah. so the, the gaps for Jackie Stewart stopped because he'd seen so many of his friends pass away I think the what, what was weird about what Jackie Stewart said to him the question that he put to him about you realise you're crashing to more people than any of the top <laughs> yeah. drivers in the past like three exactly. years I can't believe you're asking me that question right so uh, a little con- a little bit of context there with Jackie Stewart that you might not have that, that would have maybe gone a bit on you is that when Jackie Stewart first started racing there was no they couldn't get out of the car with the steering wheel in but they couldn't get the steering wheel off themselves oh. um, so and the cars were liable just to implode and some fire and they were know, trapped in them yeah they were trapped in them so Jackie Stewart reached a race with the spanner gaffer tape to his steering wheel <laughs> so that if he crashed he could take that spanner off and unscrew his steering wheel and get out of the car and I think for Jackie Stewart is a pioneering funnel and safety. So if Jackie Stewart's calling you out on your, on your stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's the. Uh, that's when you know. And him and Senna were the two probably most influential people on F1 safety. And then Sid Watkins, the doctor who's mentioned in this, also had a massive impact. Yeah, that was yeah. to that the point was where. And it said, no more, there's not been any fatalities since he. Uh... Yes, yeah, so that was the last one until. 2014 2017 2017 yeah yeah um, so at the Japanese Grand Prix a driver called Jules Bianchi a young driver he uh, went off the track and his car basically skidded on the gravel there was a recovery vehicle on the track already um, taking another car picking another car up that had gone off as well and his car because of the shape of the car he kind of like almost arrows under it doesn't he yeah, he went under the recovery truck and basically yeah. his head hit the bottom of the truck of the truck yeah um, and it put him yeah. in a coma and he never and six months later he, mm, he passed never. away yeah yeah so I, I mean 23 so, years is a, is a good is a good gap to have but yeah I mean I think Felipe Massa Massa came close didn't he when the what was it yeah, hit him yeah, a yeah. clutch or something a spring. a spring a spring fell out of the back of somebody's car and it bounced along yeah and, yeah I mean, Senna's in this Senna's death was because a um, part of the um, suspension yeah, shot, yeah. yeah, shot up and smashed into a very similar. If you look at where Massa was hit with the spring, it's very similar to where Senna's helmet yeah, was yeah, yeah. impacted. They they did more work on the helmets as well after Senna's crash, and I think they, they often cite that Senna's death improved safety massively. Right, I see, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what was your favourite line of the film, Sam? It was really hard to pin down, and it is harder when it's a documentary like this because it's not scripted um, in many yeah. ways. There's a few. I'm not a religious person at all, but 
and I, and I usually really don't like religious sort of messages in films, but I did sort of like the way it was done here, um, and it's hard to narrow down the line. There's a there's a quite a there's quite a nice line from his mum, basically saying that he said that he'd heard from God beforehand, and really that it, this was God's message for him to bring him to God, you know. Um, and I yeah. don't know why that affected me, and, and, and I think it, like I'm a very anti-theistic sort of person. I'm, I'm a very anti-religious sort of person, but it was quite a nice sentiment of her, of his mum, but rationing it like that, seeing it like that. I mentioned that earlier. Tell me that's not poetry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'll I'll let Hugh say his favourite line, and then I'll tell you what I spun off the back of that, and I'll put it down. Okay, so my favourite line in the uh, film. So I've got, um, it was by what Pross said, you know, you were talking earlier about foreshadowing mm. and all that. I said in an interview, in a press conference, you know, Ayrton has a small problem. He thinks that he cannot kill himself. Yes, that's right, yeah. And that's, that again, it's and, a theme, you know, that to create a documentary like this that actually has themes and foreshadowing of that level is really an astonishing feat, isn't it? What, what did you spin off the back of that? So I, I, I've told you earlier. I'll tell Sam as well, and, and what my thought is, and it's it's crazy. Oh right, okay. Right. So this is out there. This is this is really out there. I do so, not endorse this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but right, so ignoring the foreshadowing that's been set up in in the film, right? Uh, but apart from the fact that this is all you know real film and real life, and it all happened at the weekend of his death. He was not himself. He was not the same air and center. You hear people talking in the background. Um, he didn't smile. He was focused. He was angry. Um, the accident to Rubens Barrichello really affected him. And then the death of Roland Ratzenberger, that affected him more. Um, and uh, something that didn't get brought up in that is I heard that Senna had actually gone to the stewards and asked them to call the race off. Um, and it didn't. And there was a comment in the bit where um, Dr. Sid Watkins said to him, just quit. Mm, yeah. And he says, I can't quit. And the season, the start of that season, it's not been his right season. And it was the point when he said, I can't quit. And then he said, I've had a message to God from God saying, God will give me his greatest gift, which is God himself. And then there was a line after the crash, which said, even at full racing speed, it's impossible for driver error to cause crash yeah. at that corner. And there was speculation as to what broke, but obviously the investigation as to what broke couldn't be done post-crash because everything was Just broke. Destroyed, yeah. So my conspira- conspiracy theory, <laughs> so spinning a conspiracy theory, I mean, I'm not, I, I said this, the specific percentage I'm ninety five point seven percent sure that it was a crash. Right. But there's but there's there's four point three percent of me that thinks it was suicide. Wow. Because it is there's just a, a, a talent of his, like they've already said. But the steering column broke. There's nothing he can yeah, do when he's going two hundred miles an hour. Of course the steering column broke. Once it's broken, he's going straight on, isn't he? Yeah, but they've no. They, the runoff area is maybe ten meters, twenty meters. They literally said afterwards they think the steering column broke, but there's no way we'll ever find out what actually happened and caused that crash. All they said for sure is that if the thing that hit him had hit him six inches higher or six inches lower, he'd have walked back to the paddock. 
So th- then, so he was that meticulous that he managed to crash a car in such a perfect way that the suspension no, could no, hit him in the thing is, and kill him. What I'm saying is that he was not that meticulous, but I'm saying that essentially he purposely crashed that car and it came off the back of him purposely crashing. Well, you heard it here first, first people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, Sam, do you have the number for uh, 999 so I can get him committed? <laughs> for crazy thoughts. <laughs> You call yeah. you call nine 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 and then I'll call you from my talk show or something. <laughs> <laughs> you and Alex Jones together. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Rogan. It was an inside job. Senator killed himself. It's all no, the trails. Trails. Tay Rogan's still alive, you know. <laughs> Doing a private show for wealthy yeah. billionaires on a Caribbean <laughs> island. You know Bruce Lee's not dead, so. though. Yeah, obviously. So. <laughs> yeah. Triads. Well, I mean, where else would he work? I heard he was obviously his butler. <laughs> <laughs> Rightio. So, I think that more or less does it. So, after this break, we're going to get Sam's rating. Uh, we're going to do the critics and we're going to do the quiz. Okay. See you after the break. please watch this so now we're going to see what Sam's rating was so Sam how many gaps that aren't there out of 10 <laughs> would you give uh, I'll go for a solid 8 yeah 8 gaps solid 8 it's hard to rate because there really is not much wrong with this film so you sort of think well then 10 but 10 really is something that is a transcendental experience that I'll always remember so I think 8 is means a very good film that gets nothing wrong Rightio, so we're going to do the critics now. Um, So the first critic I got was from Philip French in The Guardian. He said, Ayrton Senna was his generation's best Grand Prix driver. This viscerally exciting documentary does him justice. So yeah, he liked it. Uh, This film is considerable feat of editing. The racing segments consistently... Consisting mostly of television clips and footage from minicams attached to cars is frequently heart-stopping despite the low resolution. And that's from Stephen Holden in the New York Times. That was something we've not really discussed yet, but uh, you get... Um, you know, what, what did you think of the, the some of the editing choices in this film? So I noticed that you would have very quiet, intimate moments from the people who were interviewed for it and then all of a sudden it smashed to a loud engine flying down you know the you know the straight up Monza or Monaco at you know a thousand decibels yeah. yeah did you is that something you picked up no, on no it didn't affect me at all really I mean I think I kept having to adjust my no volume. no <laughs> um, no I didn't have that at all uh, there was actually was occasionally very loud and I was a bit concerned that my daughter might wake up <laughs> but it didn't feel like yeah. it was out of sync yeah I think there was one where I noticed where the music was building to a crescendo and then it just dropped off and it just suddenly went into an interview that was maybe the only time I really noticed it was maybe a misstep otherwise phenomenally well made documentary I mean I think this is a documentary that's kind of up there with some of the best documentaries ever made quite frankly Mm. I think so yeah and and they say that good editing is when you don't notice it um, which I didn't, you know, I didn't notice it. And then at the end went, that is an astonishing feat given that this wasn't made for a documentary. Now, somebody we always mention here on Please Watch This, um, when he's got an opinion, when he was alive to make one, is Roger Ebert. Now, would you, what rating did you think Ebert gave this? 
Well, the fact that you're asking that is intriguing. I think he'd give it a four. Oh, he gave it two and a half stars. Wow, interesting. Yeah. I'll give you the quote that I got from him here. In a competition uh, among risk takers, he took the most, but apparently this isn't why he crashed. Senna is a documentary that does the job. It sets out to do. I wish it had tried for more. Interesting. I wonder what he wanted. Yeah, I, I can see where he's coming from. Nothing else that you can really critique about a documentary. Not like really, this, yeah. like other than obviously the Bruce theory. That is, <laughs> that is literally check social media. Hashtag send a suicide. Hashtag send a suicide. <laughs> Strategy suicide. There's absolutely suicide. There's absolutely nothing. Hashtag more. race to God. Race to God. Race to get that God. <laughs> That's yeah. the next film starring. Do you know what? It's interesting though. I, I told you this before, off air, Juicy. Um, I've listened to an interview with the director, and um, he said that Senna would often get ridiculed or maligned by the English media when he was giving his press conferences in English for him talking about his religion. So, what they ended up doing was they found out that essentially he was doing almost two different types of press conferences. So one he was doing in Portuguese, he was saying all this religious stuff, but then the English ones were a bit very much reserved. So they had to go through and watch double the amount of press conferences because they knew there was a different side that Senna was portraying to the people back home in Brazil. That's hilarious. I mean, we're, we're a funny country when it comes to religion in, in how our head of state is also our head of church. And I am, like I say, very anti-religious and so on, but we just got this weird thing that if a if a public figure is overly religious, we sort of mock them a bit. It's, it's a weird thing. I don't, you know, weird bit of dissonance. Yeah, I mean, Lewis Hamilton gets it now. I think because he mentions is it. <laughs> I think there's a, it depends on the public figure. My criticism of Lewis Hamilton is is the fact that oh, thank God for being here, and I wouldn't be here for if it wasn't for God. It's like no, you wouldn't be here if your dad didn't work four jobs so he could get that. Crappy little go kart from track to track. <laughs> it, that's the that's the the thing of it. Like that is what. He's Do you think was. Roger Ebert wanted more insight into the crash itself? Because if you're not familiar with Ayrton Senna, <laughs> the fact that the crash is quite undis- indecisive and I mean, inconclusive, rather. Of I think it's they know how, how he died. A, it was a moment for him. It was a moment that affected him. You look any further into that crash, and you become cold to it. You mentioned mm. earlier before we were recording about. Uh, and another X1 driver, uh, XF1 driver, Martin Brundle. And I've uh, been basically emotionally cold to these things that happen. Yeah. But a lot of XF1 drivers, so they are very much desensitised to this stuff. Yeah, and it would, have, it would have felt like, it would have felt, yeah, that's it. I think I used the phrase earlier, rubbernecking. I think if it had really dwelt too much on the crash and showed multiple angles, it it's sort of not the point, is it? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it'd be intriguing to, to... I want to read the whole uh, review, actually, and just get a sense of what he wanted more of. Yeah, well, that was more towards the end of the review, quite frankly. Yeah. I was trying to find why he gave it two and a half stars and what his criticism of it was. Right, yeah, well, that was the 2010 documentary Senna. Um, Sam, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Juicy, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thoroughly would recommend it to anyone who's thinking of... You know, you can show this to somebody who isn't interested in F1. Or you can show it to maybe an adult who's thinking of getting into F1. You could, this is always a good start point. Um, so, yeah, uh, Juicy said earlier, um, 
to me off air again <laughs> that there's a 20 was it 2013 film uh, Rush which is a dramatisation about the uh, conflict in 77 70, or is it 76 it's in the late mid, yeah late 70s conf- uh, the conflict between Nicky Lauder and uh, Britain's James Hunt um, they had a famous kind of rivalry uh, that's been dramatised so yeah maybe we'll watch that in the future at some point Sam because I think so I think this this film hasn't made me want to watch more F1 but I wouldn't be against watching another maybe more dramatised version and I think really when it comes to films usually they're not about what the film is so this is not about F1 this is about drive and ambition and risk taking and what you'll do to succeed and, and that sort of thing really isn't it so uh, I really enjoyed it for those reasons. Um, yeah, I think when you say yeah. that, there's an interesting bit that uh, Ron Dennis was talking about, the equality within the team, and Prost obviously felt that they started to favour Senna, but he was saying mm. they drew the engines, which one, who got the engine out of a, you know, a, drew it by lots, essentially. So there was wow. equality, and that was the kind of level of detail that McLaren were going to at that point to be able to make sure that both drivers got an equality of opportunity. That was fascinating was that did you guys see that in the version you watched because I ended up watching an extended version and you two watched a theatrical release that's worth mentioning yeah so the, so I think maybe that bit I don't believe I it's about an hour did. more the uh, extended yeah. release so I'd been intrigued to know what I missed out on but I I couldn't have watched another 45 minutes to an hour of that I think I was glad I watched one that was an hour 45 49 yeah. Rightio, so we're going to move on to the quiz now. Quiz time. Yo-yo. So, because Juicy is... Out. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the caffeine's the kicking. <laughs> He's got the shakes now. What a perfect time for it to kick in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Answer irrationally quickly. <laughs> and be dead certain of your so answer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, these are for you, Sam. Pass out. Right, go on. So these questions are for you, Sam, because essentially they'd be too easy for you, Sam, okay, <laughs> quite yeah. frankly. Um, yeah. Uh, so, question one. Name the teams that Ayrton Senna drove for. Right. I'll try and do them in order if I can. So, I think his first one F1 was Lotus. That's one of them. He was at McLaren. Yep. He was at two. Williams. Yep. Uh, was there any, any more F1? Yep. Yeah. Um, a clue you've, I'll give you a clue, one more. Was it Ferrari? No. No, that's where I cross with him, isn't it? One more. Um, oh, gosh. Lotus. Got to get all... It was, was, it, was four Was it before all Lotus? In total. At, what, at what point did this come in? I mean, if we keep... If we give you the answers... It's been <laughs> mentioned. Yeah, several times. Oh. I think Monaco. Um... Bloody hell, I can't remember. Monza. No, what was it? No, I, can't, I don't know. Uh, Juicy, would you Tolman. like to... Tolman. Tolman, yeah. See, that was the thing, because I'd never really heard of that. It didn't stick in my head as a team. As yeah, a team. yeah. It was, there was a lot of private teams back in those days. Yeah, so that's yeah. I'll take that. In the, I was reading uh, on the internet earlier that in the 88 season, there was 18 teams. To put that in context, there's only 10 teams now. Yeah, that's incredible. So, question two. Name the boss of McLaren, or the team principal. Uh, McLaren? Was that Ron Dennis? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well done. I'll take pride in that. <laughs> yeah, great answer. Well done. Number three. This is a bit dark and I'll be honest, but um, 
it's hard to, it's quite hard to get it's like we've mentioned before I always like to give you quiz questions from the actual films yeah, and we're yeah, not asking you to sure. use your own knowledge because it just made life harder yeah. Um, yeah. so what was the name of the corner that Senna crashed at and died yeah um, the name of the corner so was that Imola yeah Imola and San Marino oh dear oh dear is it beginning with an M Mulberro. It's got an O at the end. An O sound. Right. No. Yeah. Bull. No, I don't know. I don't know. Five seconds. Go on. No, I'm not going to get it. Imolo. No, that's Imolo. Bull. There was a word like Mulberro, Bullmero, something like that. What was that? You're not a million. You're, you're not Tam- a million miles away. Tamborello. Tamborello. That's right. Yeah. Missed out the tam bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, we were guessing the qualification results of the actual F1 that's going on this weekend <laughs> and Dempsey took went through all 19 drivers prior <laughs> before getting one of them in the in in play so it's, it's totally fine nobody's perfect <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's probably the most famous corner at Imola now unfortunately yeah because uh, I don't it's, it's not he wasn't the first person to crash there Gerhard Berger had a crash there mm. in the late 80s I mean the crashes I've never seen any of them the the Rubens Barrichello one was like oh, it was like the curb was a 20 ramp 20 feet off the floor that yeah. that shot me up from the sofa yeah. so I think the it was, I was literally I was, I was laying down watching it and then when that happened I literally sat bolt upright like I would if I was watching the race live yeah well that's it because I I knew him from the 90s and presumably early noughties I knew nothing was going to happen to him I had no idea he'd been in a crash like that so I was like that took me really by surprise yeah it's weird that the two like Roland Ratzinger's crash yeah sorry not Ratzinger Ratzenberger Roland Ratzinger is a that one, yeah. Um, and he was Joseph, wasn't he? Yeah. Or he is. Um, yeah, I hadn't seen... Obviously, I saw that crash in the documentary, but I hadn't seen the documentary for many years. And I'd forgotten how dramatic that one looked. Wait, was that the and one that was off the ground? Or was that... Was Barrichello off the ground? So the one that went up the, off the ground and hit the, um, the like, the, the meshing the on mesh. the side. That was Barrichello. That was Barrichello. Yeah. And he's the one who survived of the... <clears throat> Senna's is the most innocuous of the three yeah. and it's yeah. the one that was like it was death. a free captain as they said it was one thing <laughs> <laughs> you changed it <laughs> hashtag the truth what, what the what the oh, listeners facts. can't say is me <laughs> raising my eyebrows when I said free captain <laughs> yeah rightio um, so so as I mentioned earlier one of my favourite scenes of the film was the uh, him winning at his home circuit in Brazil can you name that particular uh, circuit's yeah. Oh dear. Um, wait, was Interlagos or is that? Yep. No, you got oh, it right. Get it. Well done. Yeah. I did mention it quite a lot you during did, the yeah. podcast to try and plant that in. <laughs> um, and we're going to have a bonus question here for Ooh. Juicy because Interlagos actually has an official name. Can you name the official name of the track, Juicy? I'm, I'm almost <laughs> certain it's the Autodromo. Ooh. He hasn't googled That's it later because I did tell him Juan <laughs> Carlos. That's the one I went with earlier. Autodrome of Juan Carlos. The King of Spain. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, genuinely the King of Spain's called Juan Carlos. Yeah. yeah. But you're wrong. Oh. <laughs> no, you're right with Autodromo. Um, Carlos is in it, but it's uh, the Autodromo uh, Jose Carlos oh, I knew it. Pache. I knew it was 
Jose. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought Jose, the Pache thing, I wouldn't have got. Yeah, or in English, Pace. So it reads as Jose Carlos Pace to us. Yeah, but we, it's commonly known as Interlagos. Um, yeah, here, here's a question for you. Hopefully, you'll get this. I think many weeks ago you set a precedent of the uh, the co-host asking a question, so I'm just going to ask it. Um, Go on. On what date did he die? The 5th of May. No. No. No, the 1st. 1st of May. No. no. Is it? Yeah. 1st of May. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at it earlier on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I had the 15th in my head because I looked at the Monaco race and obviously it was two weeks before, but I was uh, into my head. I was going to say, Phil, but that was because the Saturday would have been. Yeah, April. just before, yeah. Just yeah. after. Yeah. yeah. Then finally, question five. Oh, cool. Good luck with this. <laughs> this is intentionally <laughs> difficult. What was the name of the Brazilian TV host who sent a briefly date or dated and gave him all the kisses? The one he briefly dated, for Christ's sake. Yeah, the blonde girl. Uh, was it the, the one who was kissing him all the... Yeah. Yeah, censored. I haven't a clue. Yeah. <laughs> the one who he was whispering to and basically, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> broke some laws. <laughs> I have not a clue. I think, did it begin with an S? I really don't know. He did not know. This is why I asked because it's this is a really tough. It's um, Shuja Mengel. What Doctor Mengel? Uh, the name? No, 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 no. Just to clarify. So it's spelled X U X A, and then oh, for fuck's Mengele. sake! <laughs> it's just not a. The thing is, I said to him, I said, actually, I like knowing Sam. There's well a good chance that if he's noticed that name, he's definitely paused it and made it down. <laughs> yeah. I call it. I call it Uxa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you got um, you got the two, maybe three. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, you got you got two. I got more you than got I would have done if I hadn't seen the film. So it's progress. It's showing progress. Yeah, I've, I was tempted to say uh, instead of doing Interlagos, I was going to say what was his team manager at Williams, but I thought two team bosses in a row. That's a bit silly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the team name gives half the answer. <laughs> it does. <laughs> That's a very fair point. Yeah, well done. You know, I mean, Extra yeah, credit. Bill Williams. Literally. More or less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any name followed Frank by Williams. Williams would have got you half a point. <laughs> <laughs> Rightio. So um, yeah, that's uh, Senna. Um, yeah, a good film. A yeah, good I think. Film, uh, that yeah, sh- a, a crying shame to be honest, because yeah. he was thirty-four, and he probably, I think he would have, I think he would have won a world title in that Williams. I he think he won that eighty-four. No, I think if four races was in, back in them days to lose was too much. Yeah, and I think uh, Hill got some luck, didn't he, yeah. to win the, to get even close to it. Oh, this is just nerd talk now. I've lost interest. I just went and plugged in my laptop. I wasn't really paying attention to that at all. Yeah, the Villeneuve would have won and then Hill and uh, uh, Senna would have come out uh, champion. <laughs> yeah, well done. That's yeah. a very... Uh, <laughs> one of our friends' response to anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to have to cut this now. <laughs> so, right here, yeah. so... We saw Senna. I was happy about it. We'll, we'll see Rush one time in the future. 
Yeah. Rush. That's it. No rush. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam, yeah. what we've already watched that. <laughs> so Sam, what film are we watching next week? Next week we're gonna watch the film Office Space. Hugh, what do you know about Office Space? Nothing. Okay. I genuinely don't know anything about Have you it. Heard of it Square meters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had heard of it. Um yeah, I just yeah, it never came on the radar though. I never I think it was on Netflix a few years ago and yeah, I kind of it. hovered over it a few times but never quite pressed that play button. Well, now's your chance. I don't think it's on Netflix anymore, but now's your you know, sort of chance to go and buy it. Um so we're gonna watch that next week. It's one of my favourite comedies that's all I'm going to tell you it's comedy other than that look forward to it about you Juicy have you seen it no I might give it a watch if it's comedy back in for another episode (laughs) (laughs) well I think we've got uh, we've got my brother due back on that so look forward to that we have haven't we oh yeah yeah one of his (laughs) favourites yeah rightio so oh internet how Hugh if they want to get in touch with us and email us about um, conspiracy theories of their own, how can they do that? Race to God. Yeah. <laughs> is that it? That's how can how can they do that? Yeah, they can race to God. Yeah. Electronic yeah. Means. Is there a quicker way? Yes. Yeah, so reliable. if they want to, uh, you know, send us a message, send us an email. What they need to do is they need to uh, basically dedicate their lives to becoming Formula One drivers. <laughs> they need to then get into the best team possible or, or a championship-winning team. They then need to access their servers because you know they're secure, they're tight. They need to send an email about this or any other film that we've recommended on this podcast and that's the best way they can get in touch with us I feel um, because I'd like to get an email from uh, Mercedes, Ferrari or uh, <laughs> even McLaren I think that'd be great If you wanted to get an email um, within the next say two to three working days uh, what would be an alternative method? I mean I don't know use dial up <laughs> <laughs> I mean without them having to spend months and years Getting into F one. <laughs> if they wanted to do a normal immediate response. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, they can email us at pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com. Some what other channels and mediums and uh, sort of avenues can they access to uh, contact us? Um, Twitter at pleasewatchpod and uh, Facebook. We're called Please Watch This. Get in touch. Chat with us and that. Cheers. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Juicy, what's your Twitter? My Twitter is at Juicy0412. 0412. It is. <laughs> yeah, Sam tagged you in the episode. True. Oh, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, so if you want to talk about Juicy about Senna conspiracy theories and FIFA uh, conspiracy theories, he will be all all ears. I will be 5% ears. <laughs> <laughs> 2.3% 2. 2. 2. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Four point three percent of years to be, <laughs> to be yeah. specific. Yeah. Yeah, no, What's the FIFA FIFA uh, conspiracy theories then? Oh, what percentage? What, of... what isn't it? Oh, the percentage of belief. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> What's your oh, FIFA what username if you want to play you on FIFA on Xbox? Oh, yeah, I think it's. Oh, do- doxing. <laughs> That's essentially doxing. What's these your days? Uh, yeah. sock code account number and expiry date? Uh, it's. One one. It's the first one. One one. one. That's, that's one. expired. Here, um. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's time to say goodbye. It is. So, Juicy, once again, thank you for coming in and uh, no problem. 
Yeah, we highly appreciate it. Dowing us with your your knowledge of uh, F1 and uh, also Bond. Go back and listen to that one, License to Kill. This was a lot more uh, Formula One nerdy than I expected, actually. I know it's a Formula One film, but, um, you know, that was an inevitability. And not to be. Sorry, listener, if you're not into it. And if you are into it, here you go. Here's a gift from the gods. Free of charge at the point of delivery, yeah. So, yeah, we've asked our welcome now. Um, Thanks, guys. Cheers, listener. We love you all. And you know. Bye! Bye! (laughs)